Let's go. Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey there folks, Oliver here. This week, Horace joins me to riff on a recent mental model for thinking about the job to be done of micromobility, involving escalators, elevators, and stairs. It's Horace at his best, conceptual, funny, insightful as always. Before we jump into the episode though, I do want to thank our sponsor and a project that I'm very excited about, Helium. There's a whole world of devices out there, from parking meters to packages, scooters, bikes, and more. All of these things should connect to the internet, but Wi-Fi and Bluetooth have a limited range and cellular data plans like those used to connect scooters can be pricey. Wouldn't it make sense for all these devices to have their own internet? A network that works just for them so that they can stay connected anywhere, anytime? Helium is building the People's Network, the world's first peer-to-peer wireless network. Powered by Helium's LongFi technology, this network enables companies to connect devices and collect data in ways never before possible by delivering secure, ubiquitous coverage at a fraction of the cost of cellular. With a range 200 times that of Wi-Fi and very low power requirements to maximize battery life, it's helping micromobility companies to keep track of their fleets and vehicles. I've followed them for years, and I'm personally very excited about Helium. It's an honor to have them sponsor the podcast. Check them out at helium.com. And now, here's Horace. All right, and welcome back to Micromobility. Today, Horace, where are you? Oh, I'm I'm in New England, Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, very happy to be home here. Yeah, awesome. Any uh, any ca- crazy stuff happening with the coronavirus over in yours? Do you, do you have uh, do you have panic buying going on in your in your neck of the woods? Panic buying or panic selling? Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> there's panic selling of of shares and uh, panic buying of masks. I suppose I, I I haven't been in the shops to be honest. I I don't have yet the need to buy anything, so I don't do it. But um, I heard you know mostly in Europe though. I not not so much uh, out here, but there's definitely a lot of anxiety for for you know as the markets are are showing. Yeah. Well, look, I wanted to, to dig into a, a topic that you had raised. Um, I've heard it a, a couple of times mentioned, and this was the analogy that you had around escalators, elevators, and stairs, and how that might apply to something like mobility. And um, so I thought maybe what we could do is we could kick in, you just explain your idea, and then uh, I've got a bunch of questions and probes uh, that I would love to put you about it. Well, let me just step back for a moment, because I think this is partly the, the way this surfaced was that some people on Twitter and other places obviously have been uh, debating uh, the merits of what I consider active or mobility that you requires you to have put some effort in and then the the sort of passive mobility which is where you are a passenger who actuates a throttle uh, so push button mobility versus active mobility or passive versus active some say that actually the the thing that's caught in the middle is this pedelec the pedal assisted electric bicycle and the fact that it exists is considered by some to be strictly due to government interference or rather the government says that you're not you cannot be granted the right to be on a bike path unless 
you're a pedal-assisted bike, not a throttle bike. So in the U.S., that's a, that's a class, is it class one, I think, e-bike? There's a class three e-bike, which is actually a high speed. In Europe, that's called an S-pedelec or speed pedelec. And then there's a class two in the U.S., but not in Europe, which is a, just a throttle-based class one. So it's a slower speed, but it's a throttle system. And class one and class two are more common in the U.S. Class one and class three uh, or S-pedelec are somewhat common. I mean, well, I'd say class one is like 95% of the market. And, and then class three in Europe exists, but class two doesn't. And class three is, again, is, is a high-speed version of the class one. It's limited, nonetheless, at 45 kilometers an yeah, hour, about still 28. Still a fast bike. It's very fast. It's it's about what you you know. If you're on a regular bike, like a, if you're an athlete and you're able to, you know, have a good high you know um, high performance bike, uh, you will be able to do that speed. But it's very hard, and it's not sustainable unless you're you know you're Tour de France type of person. So f- 28 miles an hour, 45. Anyway, the point being though that somebody asked, why not just have class two be the more obvious choice for an electric bicycle. And if you're going to do class two... I, class two I, being the throttle. Yeah, the throttle bike. Bikes. If you have yep. a throttle bike as your most popular option, because people don't want to pedal. What's the point of having pedals at all? Just get rid of them, put foot pegs down there, and either twist throttle or thumb throttle, and you're good to go. Now, that's, that's the way people would love to have it. That's the way human nature is. We sit in our cars, we push a throttle... With our foot, we sit on a motorcycle, we twist the throttle. On a moped, same thing, electric or not. This is the way people like to move and not to put effort into that process. It's kind of an anachronistic. Yeah, in New York, if you see the videos of the delivery workers, because for a long time they were banned, and then they've recently allowed e-bikes back into the streets in New York. And all you see is these delivery workers like rolling around with throttle e-bikes. Yes, not using all, the pedals whatsoever. Right, which is they're why just riding it. <laughs> well, well, that's exactly why yeah. they're considered. So this is where we get into the psychology. The the problem is this, and then and so let's step into this. The the from the point of view of a cyclist, a regular cyclist, someone who is using a throttle only bike, uh, seems to be on the motorcycle, seems to be on a powered vehicle, and doesn't deserve the right to be on the bike lane because they're clearly a basically a motor motor vehicle. But yet those class two vehicles in New York were being unlicensed. And this is what led to actually crackdowns because people that were resentful. They're also drivers are resentful because they're saying these guys are running. They don't have driver's licenses. They don't have helmets. They don't have insurance. They don't have, and they go on streets and on sidewalks and on, on paths anywhere they want. They park anywhere, anywhere they want. And so they, they felt like, look, we have to obey rules. We have to stick to our place in our roads and so did the bike, the cyclists, and so did the pedestrians, and everybody felt that these guys were essentially cheating. And so the government of New York was actually very heavy-handed with this, and essentially set a blanket rule, so no e-bikes. And that actually that rule covered even the pedal-assisted bikes, which totally uh, was unacceptable because again in the european context those are considered bikes and even the u.s context those are considered bikes so actually what you can see through that example of new york is that a throttle creates tension from the point of view of other road users because it doesn't seem like you're really deserving to be treated as a cyclist which is sweating and and sacrificing to some degree 
But there's more to it than this. And I think that there's a point of view that a person who uses these types of vehicles has a different job to be done. The job to be done for uh, a throttle user is exactly this that we see use uh, in New York uh, for delivering things. It's a very utilitarian thing. They've got to get a job done. They're trying to just, they're not going to be having fun doing this. They're not trying to close their rings on their on their Apple watches. They've got to make deliveries and they've got to make money. And so, of course, most of those delivery guys, if not all, almost all of them are immigrants. And, yeah. and so- Well, I'd also say as well that they're looking for the vehicle with the highest performance, right? And the performance in that sense is they want to be able to go and pull over on the side of the road to be able to go even onto the footpath in order to be able to go into a restaurant, come out and pick it up. So they want the thing that's got the most geographic coverage on a, I mean, on they a used street. To do it with bikes, but then they, when when the option came available to have an e-bike, which is a throttle system, yep. they certainly took it. And I think so. Again, the job to be done is very utilitarian. I've got to get places. There are people who are actually let me put yet another uh, polarizing viewpoint is there are people who are cyclists themselves who think any electric assistance is 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 obscene, and they they I've had people literally uh, shout at me about the fact that all e-bikes should be banned everywhere for all time and and forever. These are purists who are even more dangerous to the world, I think, than uh, those who... They're the perfectionists and enemies of, of good enough. It's that we need to to not uh, allow assistance of any kind because then it's not pure and it's not human-assisted. It's not a human-powered vehicle, etc. And so... There are these points of view, and I think that at the heart of this is the question of the of the pedelec and the pedal-assisted bike. And some people say again that it's obsolete; that the human nature would favor the um, the push-button response even as much as possible. But then again, well, if you follow that logic, then we're better off in cars, especially self-driving cars. We have to push anything. We just sit there. Well, this is. Right. And this is this is the part that I kind of look at and say, you know, I can't I don't understand how anybody can say, look at someone who's on a scooter and say, oh, that's lazy. When you don't look at the same person who's sitting in a car and think that, you know, it's at the end of the day. I mean, I get your point around, you know, something like an active transport mode or a bike, for example, you're inputting something, you're pedaling. You're, I'll give you're you another uh, another funny uh, anecdote. This person was shouting at me about any electric bike. It was actually a mountain biker. He thought that electric mountain bikes were cheating because when you go up a mountain, you know, it's a lot of work and, and you shouldn't be assisted and so on. But I said, well, how do you get up the mountain if you're tired or what do you, you know, you always have to ride up a mountain. No, no, you take the lift up and, and right. that, you know, that, that's an electric motor that's taking you up anyway, very, very inefficiently, I might add. So th- there are people who are... Um, I would say, uh, obviously, hypocritical about this. And certainly they drove probably to the mountain in the first place. So here's my, my point of view, the way to settle this. And the answer is, again, to segment by job to be done. There are some people who have the work to do. And as I said, the delivery person who will prefer not to have to expend extra energy to do their job, especially if they're doing it eight hours a day. If you Believe me, if you had to ride eight hours a day, you're going to want to have that throttle. You're not going to pedal. And so they should be served. They should have that option and they should be given a way to uh, make their deliveries. There are those who are purists, again, those who want to have an only cycling experience, but their job to be done typically is 
not as much utility, but they want to have, usually get some exercise. If you had the option, and there is some cost difference, obviously, but many people are spending thousands and thousands on unassisted bikes, right? These racing bikes and these, you know, there are enormous amounts spent on bicycles that that provide recreational value or exercise value. But those two should exist. There's no question that that's a long tradition. The thing is about this S-pedalic, and so how to think about it, and in that context also how to think about push-button scooters, push-button three- or four-wheelers as well. And my impression, and I I use this analogy, I I think about it this way. I say, what if you were to look at people, and and this again came to me via via, uh, someone tweeting and showing, hey, here's a picture of an escalator, and next to it there's a a staircase. And they said, look how how few people go up the stairs. Staircase and how most most people take the escalator. There's no doubt. You know, every airport you've been in, probably there's an escalator in it somewhere, and you'll see the same behavior. Now, granted, people typically have bags as well, but I find myself, especially after a long flight, sometimes I like to go up the stairs just gets a little bit of exercise because I'm I've been cooped up for too long. But this is a there's usually even a third option. There's the elevator next to the both of these conveyances. So then you ask yourself, well, when does one choose? a different way to climb the stairs or get up to the second floor. In some cases, the elevator actually is the easiest. You just literally push a button and you don't have to worry about tripping, getting on, tripping, getting off, other people jostling you. You just sit and stand there, push a button, but it only takes a few at a time. It's a batch process. You have to wait sometimes, a frustrating that it's like nothing's happening for a while and then a lot happens. But on the escalator, you seem to be making constant progress. And again, there's the stairs. The stairs work as a backup if any, all the other machines work, uh, break. But when you're on the stairs, you're also getting exercise. You feel good about yourself doing it, right? So some people take the stairs even if there's other options are available. Regardless of this ease, it's about they're looking for something hard. And so when you look at, at micromobility, maybe we can actually classify these modes into these three options. So if you think about the car is very similar to the elevator. It's a box, it moves, you push a button and it gets you there. It's not efficient, it's batch, it's low occupancy. It, it, there's a lot of issues. If you have to move a million people, it's not the way to go. If you're, you know, if an, a train empties and people need to stream out of it and get up the stairs, the escalator is the best option typically. And that, to me, the escalator is kind of the the push button scooter, right? Or the class two pedelec. It's it's got it's got value. Um, in, in maybe it's also the bus, you know, in a way. Kind of you sit down and. But maybe buses are just bigger elevators. I don't know. I have to think about it. But g- generally speaking, you've got this, and and then you've got the stairs, which seems like a regular bike or walking. And what I observed though is when I'm using an escalator, I like to climb the escalator, and this is a weird thing to do, isn't it? And but it's so it's so common that convention has it that you stand on the on the right and you leave space on the left for people to climb unless it's really jammed but generally people even even in in subways they've noticed this and actually there was an article written about the oddity of of this behavior because it's not as efficient 
to for throughput reasons to to everybody to use half the escalator area right because the other half uh, is is for walkers or or climbers and there are fewer of them and as a result actually the escalator companies hate it because it wears the escalator uh, unevenly you're stressing the system in the way they don't like it and their recommendation is actually to stand every other step they say this is the best way so you don't stand directly behind someone. You you give usually you don't do that anyway because it's a little bit too close. But the, that that step in between two people, there should be someone on the um, opposite side of you, right, the next to you, and, and right. up. So one. it's evenly balanced. Yeah, it so it's up. evenly balanced, and you get that gets the maximum throughput with most people not complaining. But it is how people behave. People get ang- anxiety, get, get very angry when you don't. Uh, you know, when you don't give them space to climb, and I'm I'm one of these people. I almost always. I was going to say you strike me as one of those, Horace. Yeah. yeah, I am. I am. I'm not a complainer. No, no, I don't complain, but I am a one that climbs, and that's the thing that uh, I've even set a challenge to myself. Sometimes these escalators are super, super long, and I'm trying to tell myself I'm going to try to continue climbing all the way to the top. You know, as we're moving. And, and you know, unlike a staircase where you usually get to you know pause a little bit between flights. But this, so you have to continue, and it's it's a weird weird thing to do. I admit, and very few, maybe not very few, maybe twenty percent of people do it. Maybe ten percent of people do it, and maybe one percent take the stairs all the way, which is crazy to do. And then maybe ten percent take the escalator because they're willing to wait, and then maybe they have this ability for whatever reason. And by the way, I noticed this is another pro tip. If you go to, especially at Heathrow, uh, I've seen this. When you go to Terminal Five, there's this very very long drop to a train that takes you there. Very long distance, so it's not easy to climb stairs. But the thing is, the air crew always take the elevator. Let that be a clue, because I think they, they don't do it because they're 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 lazy. They, they actually know it's faster, even if you wait one or two loads to go through. It's still faster waiting for the escalator to go all the way down. But anyway, that's another interesting uh, interesting point. But the thing that I want to point out though is that to me, S Pedelec feels like. The person climbing the stairs. Now, what what is that characteristic of that person? What's the job to be done? Number one, they do like the fact that they're going fast because the machine is taking them. The secondly is they feel like they're actually putting in some effort and they feel good at the end of the day that, hey, I climbed up. First of all, I got there faster than anybody else. Secondly, I, I put some energy in and I got some exercise and I feel good about myself. At the end of my journey, I feel better than the person standing there. Uh, and there are cultural, by the way, there are cultural norms. I'm told also for like in in some countries, nobody climbs climbs. Everybody stands, and and so you wonder what's going on with this behavior. So it, there might be places, therefore, in the world where where the idea of s pedalic does not work, or pedalic does not work, because it's like you know nobody wants to pedal. But that doesn't mean right. that there well, aren't places are in the exercising? world. You could just enjoy this escalator um, yeah, and watch no, the no, I, go by. I, by the yeah. way, the, the country I heard was Indonesia. In Indonesia, and you can tell supposedly that that you know when you have we're in Asia and you see people who are always standing either on the rolling uh, sidewalk, the whatever the long things, or or on the oh, escalator, like in the airports and stuff. Where yeah, where the, the, it takes the, you somehow for long it's yeah, it, it's considered really like no one in Indonesia likes to likes to put the energy in. Maybe it's hot there and they're they're not used to exertion. But whatever, I think the point is that there are still places in the world though where. There are people who want to put energy into their transportation if given the option. 
And in that situation, there's this uh, option that we need to offer. And, and for that reason, I'm a fan because I'm a user, but also I'm a fan of the idea of active transportation. I'm a fan of cycling, but I'm a fan of assisted cycling as well. So that's, the, that's my point of view. And again, I don't think it's for everyone and I don't want to impose it on everyone, but I would think that we shouldn't assume that the world will be always um, a throttle-only world because that is the most convenient for the majority. There is always a subset of people who will find it useful to to do the extra, uh, the, the difficult thing. And, and I would argue that if your business is targeting that customer, then you're likely going to do better because that those customers are likely to be better customers. Again, I may be biased, but it's like saying sometimes when you put a hurdle in front of a customer, whether it's in pricing or complexity or other things, you might get people who feel like they want to have a challenge and they want to push through that barrier in order to gain some benefit. And maybe that's the customer you want. Maybe it's the one that uh, is looking for putting energy in, not uh, receiving energy only. And that's that might be an interesting way to segment your, your own uh, customer base. So think about that. Anyway, um, that's my thinking on, again, and, and back to the, we've had these dichotomies discussed before also in other subject matters, like, you know, owned versus shared, styled versus unstyled. Should a, a scooter be beautiful? Should a, should a scooter be an object of, uh, of desire? That, th these things, or bicycles, of course, I have points of view on this. I really think that if this market develops, it's not going to be a utility market. It's going to be a consumer product market. It's going to be a software market, a platform market. And those things imply all the things we ended up with phones and personal computers, I might add, who became objects of style, design, and degrees of effort. I mean, why would you want to use a PC, by the way, when you have a tablet or a phone to use? Yes, those are easier to use. Those are touch and one requires a mouse, which is an abstraction, or a touchpad, which is an abstraction. But you get stuff done and you feel good about it. Believe me, those, those advocates of the Mac or the PC, you couldn't tear the Macs from their hands, right? Uh, it's, it's just that they, they get upset that Apple isn't investing enough in the Mac and putting all this energy into the, the supposedly the touch UXs and so on. Again, that's a decision you as a company need to make. Do you want to get the PC user, the Mac user, the, the heavy lifter, or do you want to go for the ease and convenience only? That's a real interesting question. Well, I, I think about it from a perspective. So I love this this framework of thinking about it. It's like, you know, it is it's elevators, stairs or, or escalators. And I think about what an what it has enabled for airports to all of a sudden be, in terms of their design. And I think also as well, not only the escalators, but those long walking carpets, you know, where yeah, you can yeah, go call them walking, allows, Yeah, walking yeah, sidewalks, the, the, whatever they are. Yeah. yeah, walking sidewalks. Because what it means is that they can have the distance, because you think about what the old airports would have been like if you were, had tried to effectively expand without providing this infrastructure in place to be able to help move people around. So I think about the, you, you, to your point, uh, Terminal 5, you come out and then you, imagine if you had had to, you either had the option of the elevator, which all of a sudden allowed for, you know, that you'd go very big distances. But imagine if, that, if the only option there was stairs. 
infrequently people would want to do it. It'd be like, oh, you know, don't travel through Terminal 5 because they have to make, you know, they make you go down to the train, but it's a, you know, a five minute slog down this giant set of stairs to have to get there and then coming back up, it takes you 15 minutes and you get a giant workout and right. you end up sweating way, and all that well, sort of we've, stuff. We've been living in a world of stairs and uh, and elevators. Uh, we haven't exactly. had escalators and suddenly escalators emerge and everybody says, well, you know, they're a great alternative to both of those. You might want to actually hop on it because... It moves more people. It's more efficient. Uh, all I'm saying is that give room also to the person who wants to climb the escalator. And I think you'll find that those people are interesting people to know. Yeah, sure. Sorry, and I, I get I what you're... No, 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 no. I get what you're... No, no. I get your point exactly, which is that there are still people who want to walk up and down it. I just think my point is that you're a couple of years ahead of even where the discussion's at, which is we're still just trying to convince people that the fact that there are now escalators in place or, is actually... Or you're just you know, still the, the, trying to make escalators work, period. Or starting yeah, to make exactly. escalators... Yeah. Profitable, that, or, or you know, yeah. all that. Yeah, that, that we got to walk before we can run. So I think that in this case, we're yes. I'm thinking about brand. I'm thinking about platform. I'm thinking about reshaping the the infrastructure. Uh, and also, I'm thinking about as I've probably mentioned before on this show is that the future of the physical world treated as the internet, uh, treated comp computation and, and, and communication and all these other things. So a lot of that can happen still, but it's a little bit away from us now. And I think I see my role here as being the one who kind of does see three, four moves ahead. And the, the Cassandra, the one who's able to see the future and not be believed. I'm fine with not being believed. I'm used to not being believed. Uh, but I, I'll persist with, with that uh, vision. And my hope is that eventually people will come around and believe it but uh, and act on it. But it, it is hard to know whether you're three, four, five, ten years out. And on all this logic, the logic I have is not that I have some tremendous ability to see the future. No, I have a tremendous ability to see the past, which all of us can see. I just think about my ability to repeat, to see that repeated, right? So the, to what extent can you look at the past and say, oh, yeah, it's happened to phones, it's happened to computers, it's happened to communications, it's happened to entertainment, and all these things that became software-enabled, packetized, digitized, uh, business models have been completely rebuilt, reborn. I just simply ask this, surely we can do this for transport as well. But with that, yes, with that utility economic model comes also the very, very human question. is like, how will we feel about these things? And how does a human psyche respond? And I think that actually is, is an even older story, like the question of our falling in love with things and our response psychologically to objects. And that's why I think whether you're going to be an active user of micromobility or or whether you're going to be looking for style, you're going to be looking for for signals to give to, to other people, or whether you're going to be completely, I want to just not have any energy. All of that is a part of our, you know, evolutionary psychology, right? It's, it's, a, it's a history that we, we've gone, gone through multiple times. And, and we, somewhat, we're always surprised. We're all surprised that technical objects become fashion objects, that technical objects become forces of, of societal change where we were just struggling to make them work. And then next thing you know, they're like, uh, you, you know, things that change the way people connect and, and both for good and bad. I mean, you know, the classic social media was the way it disrupted the fabric of society while it also enabled a lot of things. So I think that uh, micromobility has the potential to do that in the physical world. And along the way, 
we're going to see people break up into groups that will behave differently uh, based on what their profile is, their, what their uh, psychology is. That's an age-old uh, distinction that's been around forever. Anyway, I'm repeating myself, but mm. but that's my... No, no, no. Yeah. That's, so, so I want to just understand more about the job to be done of someone, because as you say, those those the job to be done of the people, you're, you're focusing on this, uh, the person who goes and climbs the escalator, and you said that there's a job to be done there of someone who goes and climbs that escalator. As you say, it's, it's not the most, even the most efficient way of doing it, um, and it it pisses off all the, the manufacturers and yet there's something there to be done what is the thing that's there to be done and then why do you think that's the case that they are the more valuable customers when you say that there's a hunch in there what is it about them that makes it so different well think about it also this way it's like why do people spend more money on some clothing that has no functional utility value than another the item of clothing now some of those clothing items that are very expensive maybe they're made of materials that are worth a little bit more, but generally not that much more. A lot of people will buy a, an object that has a technical value. Let's say you're buying either clothing or, or car or something like that, that, that actually somehow gives you bragging rights as saying, okay, this is technically a better like synthetic fiber or, or <laughs> I don't know, whatever it is. The thing you notice is that people use the objects they buy, services they buy to signal things to other people. And um, and make themselves feel good about them, you know, their point of of view, their life. But let's step into the, the example of the one who uses active mobility. They want to be fast. This is what I see their attributes. They want to be fast, perhaps faster than others, like buying a sports car versus a, a minivan or pickup. Then they they want to also be, uh, however, saying that they earned that speed. And this is the thing about a sports car buyer that that drives a stick shift or a manual transmission. If you think about that person, they want to say, I earned the speed because I'm actually more involved in uh, squeezing it out of the car. That is less and less today, but that used to mean something that only a skilled driver could get the most out of a car. In a stick shift car, a, a manual transmission was a little bit faster than automatic. Now it's no longer true. But again, it used to be, but you needed some skill in order to, to get it to go as fast as it could. And so someone would say, I own a, a manual transmission. That means I'm skilled and I'm, I'm actually putting energy and effort into my driving. I, I'm therefore signaling to you that I have this ability. And so they feel good about themselves. They feel good telling others about it and so on. And so there's that element of earning the respect and earning the ride, the value that you get back from the machine. You give sort of something back as well. I, I honor the machine by having a mechanical sympathy with it in the, in the form of having a, a you know, I, I can sense it better. I've got, I, I, I buy a, an expensive sports car because it gives me better feedback and I, I'm conscious of it. I'm conscious of the, of the feel of the steering. I'm conscious of the feel of the brakes. I'm conscious of the feel of the transmission even. And I, I'm, it's a multi-sensory experience. I'm listening for upshift uh, signal in, 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 you know, in, the, in the engine's own uh, voice uh, and so on and so on. And so, so people really, really, if you think about the, whether it's that or, or the way you might get a, pre, a person with a PC who mods it or who is using it for gaming purposes, who then accessorizes it with a certain keyboard or certain mouse and all these other things, they're really dedicated to that uh, machine to, to sort of say, we are bonding here. We are creating something together. And so in that sense, 
having a journey, and this is where, where it evident, the evidence shows up, you make a journey with your scooter, and then you make a journey on an e- a pedal assist e-bike, and then what would you tweet about it? Or what would you post on Instagram about it? Would you do it if you didn't earn anything? Hey, I, ma- I, made, it, I made it from A to B. Yeah, and I pushed a button getting there. Like you do today with a car, you're not going to be bragging about the fact. You might brag because you actually wasted more time in traffic than ever before. Look at me, my sacrifice in my car. But if if you were to say, oh, I made it in like 10 minutes, here's the route that I took, there's less value for you to tell the world that you made it with a push button. Now, on the other hand, if you earned it and you say, oh, I've made it A to B, and I cycled and I, I, I got so many calories in, I, I, I did it, you know, that, that was me. That was me earning that speed. That was me getting A to B in time C. And that was that ability to say, I earned, I did, I can therefore tell the world with pride that I did it. What's that worth? That's the question. Certainly lots of people are saying, well, yeah, you're just showing off. I don't give a damn. I get there in comfort and I didn't sweat. That's good too. Uh, nothing wrong with that. But there's, there are people who feel this way and they have that job to do, right? They have that job to put in energy, not even to tell the world, but to tell themselves that they've, they've, they've earned something doing it. And that's the point is that human nature is not, is very complex. There are many, many types of people with many jobs to be done. And by the way, that same person who went and does the effort, the next day they might take a scooter because they had, yeah, I've done, I've done what I had to do there, and I, I, I feel good about my workout, if you will. But today I, I don't want any hassles, right? I, I'm just gonna do the easier thing. Or and then the next day they might just take a car because it's raining, you know. So that doesn't mean they always do that, but there is a job they have to do once in a while. So that's my expectation is that we'll see segmentation, and this is why. The I think micromobility is such a great market or great idea for solving a, a complex problem of, of transportation because it, it allows itself to be segmented. It allows you to present it to, to the world in multiple ways, and therefore people can pick up the parts that they like. Don't forget the car went through this long, long ago where initially it was... Uh, it was a rich toy for playboys. Yeah, the gentlemen would go out and yeah, uh, the, show off their, the brass their era. Yeah. And, but then the, the exactly, Model T... Exactly, because I'm just trying to think of that... Exactly, but I'm just trying to think of the... the as you say, there's... You know, we've talked about the fact that micromobility is addressable for all of these short trips, and yet most of those are utility. And I don't think of someone going out and saying, you know... It's that transition, I think, that I was I was losing, but I, you, I, I hear you're going there people, now. People will, will absolutely start to divide themselves into posh and uh, chav or whatever <laughs> all these english words i i don't know well but i the idea is that there will always be those who say oh, i want to have a little bit of more, more style clothes again i go back i don't think there's any product category unless even coffee i mean remember 50s and 1960s 70s america didn't give a damn about coffee they just got folgers uh, for those of you who don't know what Folgers is, it's just like, you know, the most generic brand. And and then, you know, you put it in your filter and you put the same machine, which was a Mr. Coffee, and pushed a button and you made coffee. You didn't have espresso. You didn't have latte. You didn't, you didn't have Starbucks. You didn't have cafes in America. And you may have had them in Italy, but you didn't have them in America. And people were fine. We don't need fancy coffee. Coffee's coffee. But then what? Then suddenly you have an explosion of coffee culture starting in Seattle in the 90s, I think. And now actually Starbucks is going to Italy to sort of impose American style coffee or 
posh coffee on, on Italians of all people, right? It's this, this idea of, by the way, and here's a quick note about jobs to be done. What is a job that you hire Starbucks for isn't just to get a little bit posh coffee or po- coffee that, that you, you can claim is better than what you can get regular uh, in the office or at home, but rather also it's a place and it's a place you sit down. A lot of people work there and a lot of, so you're renting you're renting the place by buying coffee, which is a similar concept to what a bar does. A bar is a place where people meet each other, but you pay rent for standing there talking to to people by, by, by buying expensive beer. That's all it is. It's a venue rental for people looking for, for a chance to meet other people. Uh, and, and so that, that, that's what a bar is hired to do. And that's their, it's their business model. And then, then, then you have the coffee model. So it's not so much the coffee. You've got all this, this secondary tertiary effects of twisting the, the logic of coffee. So again, when you begin with micromobility, you're sort of thinking, well, how do we make a brewing process? How do we harvest the beans? How do we do the basic stuff? And at the end, you say, ha we've done it. We've got coffee and we're making some money, you know, barely breaking even making coffee. It's going to take some time before people realize, hey, you know, we need the barista or, or we need to have a menu of coffees with f- five different kinds of milk beyond all the other things you might want to vary in terms of what the coffee is. And, and, and sure enough, you know, people will say, yeah, you know, I think it's worth paying $7 for a cup of coffee. And that's the other thing about this this model of segmentation, especially where where people are hiring it to do different jobs and utilities, that you can actually charge more. You can start to say, this is a differentiated experience. This is something that lets you do things and feel different things. And so as a result, you can price it differently. That needs to happen uh, to the same, again, cars did it too. Clothing, did it too. You know, even though you have disposable clothing that's practically free, people spend still, I think the budget for apparel has not gone down. People are still spending lots of money on clothing, even though that has zero thermal qualities relative to uh, to regular clothing, right? Or cheap clothing. Um, so so it's, again, it's just noting that human nature is what it is, that history has, has kind of established a pattern. And so we can sort of ask ourselves, what would that mean for our model? And I do say this, I, mean, I was actually with bird people uh, last week and, and uh, you know, I said brand matters at the end of the day because that brand is going to capture the meaning of that, what it is that you do and how you are seen. There will be, as I, I suspect, you know, there'll be uh, Ford and GMs and 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 Porsches and and Mercedes of micromobility, uh, as much as uh, as there are Louis Vuitton and uh, uh, Gucci and Armani in apparel. So there are, or Walmart, or or the Gap. It's not all up at high end. It's just going to be clear uh, at the low end as well. I recall once I, I walk into malls. I rarely do much shopping in malls and when I do it's usually an Apple store and I just go in and out and I just marvel at it going through and there's like 50 shops there I've never been into and I just wonder what they're what they're doing uh someone pointed out that each each is a brand that is hired to do a job and that I don't have any idea what those jobs are, but surely there are many in the, everything in the mall, if you think about that. Go, go through a mall and ask yourself this question. Well, how did these, pl- and if it's not a mall, if it's a, if it's a, it's a Main Street shops in, in, in a, not the sort of a, a mall fashion. But anyway, the, the thing is that the world, we technology people are fixated on technology as solutions that are in, in necessarily complicated because they are difficult to implement. They're necessarily 
and once you you finally get that done and you feel like you'd make a great achievement but that's just the beginning getting it working is just the beginning it's like you you've just created a loom and you're able to make a fabric reliably and it's 1750 or whenever the 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 loom mechanized process was born but you're just at the beginning of the industrial revolution you haven't created um, more than a proof of, of possibilities. And, and so, so that's what I'm saying is just think ahead one or two, three steps, and you'll see how much more potential there is and how much evolutionary potential there is to the whole segment. So that's all. I think that's what this point of this exercise is. And, and, and we started off with this dichotomy between active and passive. My point is, is actually this, that, that dichotomy is, is far more than two or three, it's going to be like 10 different things. We can't imagine them yet. 10 different ways of thinking about the form factor, the, the, the power delivery, uh, and, and the, the configuration. And then the reason I chose early, early, early micromobility to be defined only in terms of its weight is because I thought so much more evolution would occur on the vehicle, on the form factor, on the power source, and all of these things will, will evolve and to the degrees that humans are or not involved in the, in the power generation. Um, also, do and do so you on. think that, you know, you make an interesting point about the fact that we ended up with a weird situation in the US. We have type one, two, three e-bikes. And the point that I was going to make earlier was around in China. So when they originally designed the mopeds, electric mopeds, so the, the, the way that mopeds came about or electric mopeds explosion came about in, in China was because they said originally, we want to ban all two-stroke engines in the sort of mid 2000s. And so a lot of cities would do that locally. And so what would emerge were options for electric mopeds and then people would say yes and if you don't if you have pedals then it's considered a bike and so you would end up with this very weird form factor of like effectively a large moped but it would have these useless pedals tacked on the side in order to be able to go around the regulation of saying you don't need a license and my point is as we evolve and you've got the new SAE definitions of micromobility and all that sort of stuff, I mean, you've, you've chosen to go for a very wide uh, definition of what micromobility can be and allowing for that can be an explosion of vehicle type. Do you not also see that that will in some ways make it easier because it's like it allows us to define things and we can start building stuff with standards and you can streamline a lot of that stuff. But it will also limit our ability to innovate and go down this sort of road of Cambrian, you know, the, 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 of innovation and allowing all these inform factors to emerge. Sorry, so you're asking, is it important to do a standard early or... Well, we, what we've ended up with is we are going towards these standards. And so but my question too is... Natural. Um, that is also a natural process. You can't really fight against it because, again, the standards process comes together because people in industry need the standard to communicate, to legislate, to regulate and 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 yes things when when the industry takes off that you have this potential for hey hold on we got to get our handle a handle on this but again the even now we're faced with legacy definitions like the the sit down mopeds uh, electric mopeds in asia which uh, which have vestigial pedals on them that are not meant to be used as pedals. By the way, that, that, that there was a, a, a motorized uh, or, a, you know, two-stroke, if you remember, mopeds like Piaggio, not, not, the, not the Vespa, which was a throttle only, but there were these Piaggios, I remember, way back 70s and so on. They actually did have 
uh, pedals on a motorized gasoline engine uh, moped. And the reason, I, I've actually seen them used where, where you get, you use a little bit of pedaling at the beginning because the thing was so underpowered. Oh, I know these. They still exist in Morocco. When I uh, when I was in Morocco last year, they were they're one of the most common mopeds. They you, you pedal to kick the to get the uh, internal combustion engine going. You get it going, but also it, once it's even if it is idling, it's like doesn't have enough power off the line. You kind of use it to give it a little bit of a push because it is somewhat uh, uh, it's somewhat underpowered. But my observation is that we are left with this legacy because regulators firmed up on regulations too early uh, and then we end up with a lack of opportunity to invent something new like a, like I'll give a more specific example in Europe you have uh, the so-called quadricycle which is the the 450 kilogram actually the the Citroen um, called Mio or something like that there's a new this new two-seater oh, the new very very new one yes I can't yeah that's Are a, they, no I forgot the name of it, but it was it was it was announced. It was supposed to, I think, come out. Uh, I, I think officially it's, it's sort of been released now. But there were some concepts I've seen before. But anyway, the, these quadricycles, also the Twizy and others, which are not are seen by by a different rule in the United States. But also you have things like S pedal, or you have in the U.S. If it's got three wheels, it's a motorcycle. So people are putting three-wheeled motorcycles, which are super fast and super powerful with the t- with two seats, uh, parallel seats, and, and, uh, and like somehow they get away with being motorcycles, right? And then you got yes. regulations in... in Akimoto, Can-Am, all that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, and then you, you had the old uh, uh, three-wheelers in England as well. It's, somehow it's weird because people can't explain why they are the, the way they are. And you've got to go back and read the rules that were promulgated in the 1950s or something to explain such an odd thing. And and so we end up with designers' hands tied, that they cannot really think about creating a smart four-wheel vehicle, maybe that works globally. You end up going into different regions with different products. But then I think things over, over time tend to normalize because you get the effect, if something is successful enough... As it happened with scooters, they took off in the in in the U.S. and then the Europeans got jealous, and so the especially the Germans were like, "We are the ones advocating, you know, more green transportation here, and and so our people cannot use scooters, you know." And but they 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 impose all these regulations; they have to have suspension, the number plates, driver's license, yada. So they get really uh, they have them, but they have them with 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 constraints, and they're still illegal in the U.K. So uh, all of this, yeah, I, what am I? supposed to do i mean yeah the people do what they do both in terms of standardization regulation and they, they it's very localized but I, I would argue also again I mean, this is not an excuse but i would argue that the same similar things happened with cars that for many many decades early on there wasn't a global standard we still have a a, a very clear distinction between left hand and right hand drive Right, the, the, we didn't agree on which side of the road to drive, and you have still major parts of the world—not just the UK, but obviously New Zealand and, and you know its former empire—which are still stuck on the wrong side of the road. Frankly, sorry, I didn't mean to <laughs> suggest. No, it's wrong. That's fine, but, Horace. But it, I think we live. We drive on the. We drive on the right side of the road. Actually, <laughs> the there, right there, side of there, the road, there so. are reasonable <laughs> arguments for both. I, I think. Uh, yes. it, it's just a, a weird thing, that, right? And and or or standardization around the current we use in our um, in our uh, AC uh, power. Uh, you know, US is one ten, one fifteen. 
in Europe is 220. Um, plugs that you use and put in the wall are different. You end up having to schlep them around if you get if you travel as I do. I'm always have, carrying all these weird plugs. So some things are left like that. We just we just cope with it. But other things, cars cars have interestingly have normalized. If they, from a technical point of view, there's been far more harmonization going on in the auto industry. Uh, even in the phone industry, by the way, there used to be the very distinct bands in use uh, for broadband on over the air, and there were also different protocols in use. But now, again, the way that's not harmonized so much, but rather within one chipset, people have actually piled in everything so that you end up with like five band, eight band, 10 band, so that one phone can be a global phone. The first global, I had the first global phone. It was an Ericsson i888. I remember it distinctly. It was the first phone that would work both in the United States and in and in Europe, and only in the U.S. on a particular set of networks that were uh, GSM, but it was a different frequency for GSM than the GSM in Europe. But you get, industry overcomes these things either because they're able to cram everything into one object that spans across all the specs, or you deal with it on a regional basis, you localize Tower of Babel stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it sounds like all of these things are sort of like technical things that need or tactical things that need to be solved. But if you go right back to the sort of the base case here, it's sort of, well, we all have kind of uh, base or, uh, you know, base uh, uh, needs that need to be served. And in, in this case, the job to be done, right? And so it's, how does that, within the sort of scope of what's possible, uh, how do we serve for this, someone who wants to, for example, show up and be like, I earned whatever it is that I did. And I get that. I get that as a point. I don't I don't disagree with it. I think it's just interesting to me because I, I happen to disagree that that is that big a deal. I think we'll, we'll ultimately end up with this, you know, someone who drives to somewhere you know, ultimately, if someone drives from one place to another, very rarely do they turn up and say, I earned this. Even if they drove there in their Porsche with stick shift and all this sort of stuff, and it was like, you know, I really felt like I drove here. I mean, sure, not really. But that's, that is true, but it not... So in, in some ways, that job to be done of earning your drive... Disappeared in the old days. By the way, you did have to because you well, you almost had to be a mechanic, and you had sometimes on longer journeys, you say you earned it because you were able to make a a long drive. Let's say an endurance. But that's the because see that's where micromobility can step up because it can offer active mobility in a world where active mobility no longer exists, where the ability to earn your ride is no longer available to you. I wish to, I, I'm supposing that there are people who wish to earn, and that's the thing about cyclists. You know, people who are recreational cyclists, the so-called mammals, right? The middle-aged men in lycra, uh, who, <laughs> yes. who who go out on the weekends and so on, and 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 wish to str- strut around and say, "I've earned," you know, Strava points or or whatever, King of the Hill or whatever it is that you've got apps who who try to give you the ability to signal your your achievements. And so, what people have done because machines don't give you anymore the ability to show your ability to exert, your ability to solve problems, your ability to demonstrate skill, your ability to to work on a skill diligently and therefore demonstrate diligence. And you demonstrate, by the way, demonstrating diligence is also a very strong sexual signal, which is why people work out, not just to get the body, but to say, hey, I make a commitment. All these things, car doesn't give you that right to do so. 
you can't tell anybody I've made a commitment except maybe in them and spending a lot of money, which you can do with other objects in the car, obviously. So you can signal your your ability to earn and thus spend on on watches, on on jewelry, on uh, shoes. Uh, so it's the car lost, in my opinion, that it used. I think it lost when you know back in the day in the nineties. Sorry, not even 90, earlier, when it was shade tree mechanic, the idea of a, being a car owner was partly being a sort of a, a mechanic. Men would stand around, open the hood of the car and point things out <laughs> yeah. and say that they knew Clearly what they the were. Carburetor. Yeah, they would, they would point <laughs> yeah. to things and say, yeah, yeah well, that, I see you got your battery over there, you know, eh. or somebody would point out and say, hey, yeah, look at that cooling hose, you know, and and maybe some guys say, well, I, I changed my own oil and, and that was a bragging thing and or he did my brakes or I rotated my tires and I've got the garage full of tools. And that was a thing to signal because still the, the car required maintenance, required work. And it was something that having that skill gave you the feeling of uh, accomplishment. Again, we laugh, but, we, we, but there are jobs here. There are jobs to be done. Uh, and once the machine is completely turnkey, yes, it, it feels like, okay, now it's no more hassles, no more headaches. But guess what? People loved some of the headache. People loved some of the hassle because it gave them a sense of accomplishment, like I said. I sometimes feel this myself because I do own more than one car. And I like sometimes, I, and mine are old. And, and in some ways, like when the, something breaks, people think that, hey, if something breaks on a car, it's terrible. It's going to cost money. There is another way to think about it. Hey, that's an opportunity for me to fix that part and it'll last even more once it's fixed. So I'm slowly rebuilding the car by fixing everything that it that breaks. You know, there's that mentality out there. So See, I, and I think this is like you're the kind of the signaling of someone who goes and walks up escalators, Horace. Or remember, <laughs> if remember you get excited about that stuff, it's like, I, I, yeah, I have I take, I take one thing. I'm going to leave you with one thing here. And that's, remember, it was John F. Kennedy, uh, I believe in 1963, who said, we will go to the moon within this decade. And they did indeed, by 1969, land on the moon. So that took seven, eight years from that moment when he said you would do so. And when he said so, by the way, they had just barely gotten up into space with like one orbit of the Earth. So the uh, with a manned orbit. But my point is this, that he, part of that... Uh, Part of that speech he gave, he said, we choose to go to the moon, not because it is easy, but because it is hard. And so the idea that a nation would would uh, attempt to achieve something uh, difficult, that was the spirit. And uh, the spirit of, you know, you would ask very smart questions about why going to the moon made any sense. Why would you do it? Are you really getting scientific knowledge or you could send a probe up and then maybe you could retrieve samples without sending people up and that was and in fact that's these were the reasons given to stop the space uh, the, the Apollo program it is it went out you know it was supposed to go seven missions I think they went four they actually sh- cut it short and and many people argued with accountancy that this doesn't make any sense you know what have you achieved and yes there was the cold war yes you had to beat the russians but did you have to do it in this way when you could have maybe put up a space station gone to mars and all a bunch of things right but that's the spirit right the spirit of kennedy's statement saying that we will go to the moon because it is hard well there are some people still i think from a day-to-day basis on everything they think about is like i'll do this because it is hard not because it is easy i want something hard i want a challenge i hear you 
Well, look, this is a great place to end, but uh, Horace, much appreciated as always, and I'm looking forward to, to hearing and seeing how this plays out with uh, within the micromobility space. You bet. Yeah.